the American Truck Driver Podcast, Episode 9. All right, welcome to the show. This is episode number nine. Uh, I'm going to bring in a different co-host this week. Last week you got to meet Zeke. Uh, this week I'm going to bring in another guy named Dan. We'll take a few minutes getting to know him and uh, let you find out where he's from. And we'll talk about how we met and uh, our conversations up to this point. And uh, then we've got a couple topics we're going to cover for this show. So without further ado, let's bring in Dan Babbitt. Landstar BCO, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? Good. So I'm stoked about having you on the show because um, whenever I'm talking to anyone else, after I've had a conversation with you, I say, "Well, I talked to Diesel Dan because uh, you are like my my deep well of information when it comes to all things maintenance and being an owner operator." Uh, so you're Landstar BCO. Uh, we met, I think. Was thinking about this i think we met when um i was getting my pre-lease inspection in dallas uh and you were getting your truck worked on and we struck up a conversation so talk a little bit about uh getting into the industry um and in your shift and move to landstar okay well um i got in um in the later part of 2005 um with a dually pickup and a what's called a wedge trailer it's uh you put three cars on it it kind of looks like a ramp going down the highway uh that's a 48 foot gooseneck and i was totally independent just jumped off the deep end and did that uh for about a year and a half and uh you know had good times had bad times and decided well i i want a bigger truck i want a sleeper because um Motel bills with that dually, you know, they add up pretty quick. So, and I was doing full over-the-road type car hauling, so I wanted a bigger truck. Uh, could really not find anyone who would insure me at uh, anything close to an affordable rate without any type of real over-the-road uh, tractor-trailer uh, experience and. Air brakes was one of the qualifiers. Uh, you had to have air brake experience, which, that, of course, that dually did not. So I went to work for a company called Central Refrigerated, who was uh, owned, owned by Swift and has now been fully absorbed by Swift. And they were basically Swift running reefer freight. They uh, operated just like Swift, same protocols, same business model. Um Stayed there for roughly about three years, uh, leased a truck while I was with them, got out of the lease, I found someone in the company to take it over, bought my own truck, and then made the move to Landstar shortly after. Uh, I've been with Landstar a little over four years now, and I am potentially working my way to getting my own authority. Um, I 
not 100% sure if it's going to be the right choice for me. I have a lot more research to do first, but uh, that's the way things are looking right now. Um, I'll have to get my own trailer first because I pull a Landstar trailer right now. Um, but basically, my quest in trucking is to maximize my rate per mile so I can be one of these guys that I guess they call a hobby trucker sometimes. Um, that's been my goal from the very beginning with the dually just hauling cars was to maybe drive approximately half the miles that a lot of truckers drive. You know, 100 to 120,000 is a is a pretty uh, a pretty common uh, mileage total for the year for a lot of drivers. I've always wanted to drive about 60 or 70,000 and maximize my revenue minimize my expenses so that my net is roughly double what the average uh, owner operator so I can basically drive half the miles but make double the net um, so I can uh, be at home more and do the things I want to do that everybody wants to do so in a nutshell that's been my quest and it's uh, been a, a long uh progression and I'm slowly working towards that it, I get a little better every year you know the, the rate goes up a little bit uh, my, my rate uh, regardless of what the market rates are doing uh, um, so you know again it's a slow a slow journey but I will get there so talk talk a little bit about your truck because um, you know that's a pretty fascinating story in itself um, of moving from the truck that you had uh, and finding and, and getting the truck you've got now on the road. Yes, yes, very much. Um, I had, I'll start with what I had. I, I had a 2006 Peterbilt 387. It was a very nice truck. Uh, it was a, a truck that belonged to May Trucking, so a big, shiny, uh, kind of a champagne color Peterbilt 387 with the the top of the line interior uh we've we've all probably seen those trucks with the may logos going down the road um it was a very nice truck it had literally uh just about no mechanical problems except the engine it had a cummins isx uh egr no dpf but the engine was a nightmare. I had, I did not have the typical EGR emission problems. What I had was uh, liners in the block that would never stay where they were supposed to be. So they shift, and then your head gasket blows because the liners uh, create the seal on the head gasket. And if they move, your 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 head gasket goes. So I went through that three or four times. The first couple go-arounds it was under warranty and uh by the fourth time it was starting to happen again i just had to get rid of the truck because i had no more warranty and i knew it was going to do it again and it's about nine thousand dollars to pull ahead and fix the liners and redo the uh, head gasket and everything on that engine so wow being a fan of kevin kevin rutherford and believing in his philosophy of pre-emissions trucks being more reliable i started to do the research on what kind of truck i want and i believe that the uh 12.7 liter 
Detroit uh, Series 60 pre-EGR pre engine was the most reliable and the lowest operating cost, so I decided I was going to get a truck with that engine, which um, if you were looking at right around the 2000-year model, you know, 99 to maybe 2001, 2002, which would, uh, in 03, you're, you're already starting to look at EGR trucks, and by 04, just about all of them have EGR so you stay away from those. So if you're looking at the 99 to 02 trucks, you're pretty much looking at Freightliners only to get that Detroit engine. There's a few exceptions, but 95% um, of them are Freightliners. It's like finding, trying to find a unicorn to find a Peter at KW. It's got that motor. They're exactly, out there. Exactly, yeah. They're hard to find. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up with a Freightliner Classic, which... Uh, you know, the classic body style, long nose, it's not the best for fuel mileage, um, but it does have the large uh, aerodynamic roof because it's the full stand-up condo, so that helps. And then the Detroit engine, uh, pre-EGR Detroit engine, overcomes a, a lot of the, uh, the aerodynamics. In, in the fact that uh, it's just a, a, a more efficient engine, gets better fuel mileage, so it, it, it helps out on that, you know, counteracting that uh, that's big square long nose. Yeah. Um, my current fuel mileage for the last 90 days is 7.36, and that is a hand-calculated number based on odometer miles and how many gallons I put in. I have a little logbook for fuel. Every drop of fuel I put in this truck, as well as oil and coolant and anything else, I, I, I'm a stickler for documenting my maintenance. But And that's pretty every good drop with, that, of fuel. with that classic because my, my 90 day is 7.47. You know, and I'm pulling light loads all the time with an 07 EGR Century. So with that big hood and, and all that, you're, you know, that's amazing fuel mileage. Well, thank you. Um, it's, uh, it's a Pittsburgh Power re, uh, in frame, so that probably has a lot to do with it. I've got their manifold, their exhaust manifold, and their uh, turbo, which is uh, supposed to be a, a real good thing for fuel mileage. Um, I bought the truck and did the in-frame right away, pretty much, so I don't know what the fuel mileage was before. I uh, wish I did, but uh, I'm just happy that it's uh, it's 7.36, um, again, for the last 90 days. So, um, By the way, my Peterbilt, which was a, a much more aerodynamic truck with that Cummins ISX, um, I believe my highest 90-day average I ever had was uh, 6.62, if I remember correctly. Definitely was 6.6 something. I'm pretty sure 6.62. So yeah. that goes to show you what uh, the pre-emission motors are capable of. Um, now, I will say, owning an older truck, it's a little bit of a trade-off. You know, you've got more maintenance, and uh, this particular truck, I bought it uh, 1.5 million miles on it. Uh, got it really cheap, and it's it's the uh, the bigger 84-inch sleeper, so that was one of the reasons uh, 
I, I ended up with this truck. Um, what would you say? Knowing that it was. What would you say to guys? Because I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in that position myself, and 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 Zeke, who was on the show last week, you know, he's probably going to be ready in about a year, and we see these, you know, ten and fifteen thousand dollar trucks. have got a million, a million five, a million seven, and there's that little thing that's just terrifying, you know, to think, you know, that I'm I'm going to go buy this truck with all these miles. Uh, but but what do you say to guys, you know? when you're looking at trucks like this that you know you can pick up cheap um, and, and get good bones, something you can work with? Well, that, that's it exactly. You're buying good bones. Um, in most cases, you might as well plan on doing that in frame. Uh, if not right away, then, you know, within a couple of months. Um, it, when the mileage is well over a million, um, you know, a million, let's say a million point two plus. If it's if it's any any mileage like that, then you're gonna want to uh, budget for that in frame pretty quick. Um, now you might get lucky and get a truck that you get another three four hundred thousand miles out of it, but that's sort of like trying to predict the future. None of us can do that. Are you comfortable um, with the idea of you know getting it dynoed and? And that being a good indicator that you've got some motor left? To a certain extent, um, if the blow-by is low, that's a good sign. Um, of course, if the horsepower is, you know, where it should be, according to the dyno, that's another good sign. But um, I believe the, the true indicator of the cylinder wall condition in the rings, you know, how, how much life is left on that truck. The true indicator is oil consumption. And um, I have seen and I have heard of many, uh, many cases where the blow-by doesn't register very high at all, but the, the truck uses a lot of oil. Um, and when it uses oil like that, if it's not leaking it, then it's getting past the rings and they're just worn out. And that's the true indicator of the uh, you know the condition of, of that engine if, if it's going to need an in frame soon or not. Um, so the the dyno, which will give you a blow by reading, uh, just about all dynos they they uh, read the blow by on it. Uh, or you can just do a blow by test without the dyno. Uh, you can drive it around the block um, with a with a blow by gauge on it. Um, and go those ahead, are, for again, those of us that aren't diesel nerds, explain blow-by and crankcase pressure. Okay, blow-by is a reading of the crankcase pressure. Um, all of the diesel engines until, I believe it's the 07 emissions. So an 08 truck that has a DPF filter, that has a a uh, crankcase and a blow-by filter, and I'm not sure if they have a, I don't think they have a down tube, so I don't know how you take a blow-by reading on those, but your pre-DPF trucks, so 07 and older trucks have a blow-by tube. It hangs down uh, on Detroit. It, it uh, looks like it almost drags the ground. On Cummins and Cats, it's a little higher, but if you uh, bend over and look around your front axle, you will see a tube, a rubber, uh, a rubber hose basically hanging down. And um, a lot of them blow 
vapor and smoke when the when the truck is running. We've probably all seen that. Yeah. That is the crankcase pressure um, escaping the crank, the crankcase. The crankcase is just the engine itself. So basically, it's a vent to vent the pressure of the combustion in your cylinders that gets past the rings. It, it literally pushes past the rings. It goes into the bottom side of the engine where your crankshaft is turning, and, and it has to get out somehow. If it wasn't vented, it would blow past all your seals, and your seals wouldn't last very long. Like your your front crank seal, your rear main seal, they wouldn't last uh, a month probably without without the blow-by system, the blow-by tube, and the, and the crankcase evacuation. So what a shop will do is put a gauge uh, a meter, basically, they they clip it onto your your blow by tube or blow by hose, and if you're on the dyno, they just run the uh, run the truck on the dyno, work the engine really hard, and they will get a maximum blow by uh, reading, and that's what you'll want to want to gauge. You know the, the the maximum blow by. That's that's telling you what kind of shape your your rings are in, um, or it, it's giving you a a real good idea at least yeah. indication um, indication right okay so. well i guess that's i mean that's pretty much scratched the surface uh of the introduction let's go ahead and move on to uh uh i love this uh it's an article i posted on the facebook page yesterday uh that i found where uh the salem news i'm really not sure where the salem news at i'm, I'm i mean i guess it's in salem somewhere uh but this this article a friend of mine shared with me (sighs) wow uh this guy that wrote this is i mean just a clueless idiot so uh, i'll have it posted in the show notes but i'll just go ahead and run over the highlights uh with you uh but this guy gets everything i mean i'll give him that uh, he covers it all. He, he's got every piece of terrifying propaganda to put in here to make the, the, the citizens understand that, that we need to be regulated. Uh, so it begins, uh, time to re-regulate trucking. On July 11th, the Associated Press issued a release stating that Senate Republicans in Washington have filed a bill to allow 18-year-olds to drive tractor-trailers interstate in an effort to help address the shortage of American tractor-trailer drivers. Now, I've, I've gone on record and said that I think the driver shortage is a load of crap. Uh, I don't think there's anything to it. Uh, and at this point, I think lowering the, the age to 18 is just stupid. Um, he goes on to mention the accident in New Jersey uh, that Tracy Morgan was in and, and that his friend Jimmy Mack was killed. Uh, and this, so this is all pretty much standard stuff, just repeating, you know, there was a wreck and the guy was behind the wheel for 28 previous hours, which I, I still, I'm having a hard time completely buying that. I, I want to see what happens with the uh, criminal investigation uh, of that. Uh, then it says, this is where it starts to get bizarre. Uh, quote, Roper, t- uh, Kevin Roper, the Walmart driver, was an independent tractor-trailer driver contracted to Walmart at the time. Tracy Morgan's involvement in the accident, parentheses, Morgan was in a coma for two weeks and had two broken legs, broken ribs, and head trauma, spotlights the reasons behind this unfortunately not uncommon type of accident and how the trucking industry got to be this way. Well, number one, 
Kevin Roper was not an independent contractor. He was a Walmart employee. Now, I haven't fact-checked this part, but I, I don't remember Tracy Morgan being in a coma for two weeks. Uh, maybe he was, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it seems that there is this, and it's not just in trucking, there's this vilification in culture about independent contractors that, you know, there was a thing with the IRS a few years ago. They wanted to, you know, if you were an independent contractor and anybody you spent, you know, more than $600 with someone, they had to issue a 1099 because, well, the independent contractors are bad and they're skipping taxes. And um, so there's something uh, in the meme uh, that is against independent contractors. And even the Road Safe America guy, you know, went, once called us uh, rogue operators because we don't bow to their whims. He goes on to say, in any given moment, 13% of tractor-trailer drivers are driving drowsy. One in every eight interstate crashes results in death or injury, often severe, and are attributable to equipment failure. Between 80 and 90% of tractor-trailer drivers are independent truckers, which I think is true. Is it not, Dan? Pretty close to it. You know, I should know that, but uh, I really don't. I don't know. <clears throat> And, and since the you know, this says so the between 80 and 90 percent since the implementation of deregulation in the early 1980s. Now, then he switches to September 11th, which you know, I mean, I guess if you're going to write a piece that's meant to terrify everybody, you've got to invoke terrorism. Um, it talks about soft targets in the U.S. before deregulation, freight rates were determined by the ICC. Uh, these rates factored in hourly wages for the driver, driver benefits, and wear and tear on the maintenance of trucks. There were so-called trucking barns dotted across the interstate of the country. Hours and maintenance were scrupulously regulated by the major trucking firms, which don't exist today due to deregulation. But when they did, freight moved seamlessly and timelessly with the Pony Express method of fresh drivers and safe tractor trailers. What planet is this guy from? I mean, that, that, there's not a there's not a word in that entire paragraph that is any in any way, shape, or form based in reality. Uh, this is my favorite part. In the era of independent trucking, with the owner operators bidding against one another, it is almost impossible to make a living, let alone pay for maintenance, equipment repair, and save for benefits. When it takes fifteen hundred to eighteen hundred dollars just to fuel up a tractor trailer, with the addition of the NAFTA tax sticker, which is an IFTA tax sticker, goody, a surtax on fuel and the massive tolls, it becomes apparent very quickly why the independent trucker can't maintain his truck and make a living with the present bulk rate method of payment. And then we get more homeland security, uh, multiple catastrophes, um, you know, and then, of course, we need to we need to revive the Interstate Commerce Commission to give jobs to returning military veterans. Okay, obviously, me covering this story is preaching to the choir because anybody that's ever been in a truck or been around a truck or been related to a truck driver knows that everything in this article is garbage. It's crap. However, the reason that I bring this article up is so that we don't miss the point that these people are not just after trucking. They're after every possible industry. If they, they are doing it to my industry, so what makes you think they're not doing it to yours? Coal. You think they're not doing it? About, I, I grew up in West Virginia, and every story in the media is about how terrible and, 
and awful and dangerous the coal industry is, but the reality is something completely different. And it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, these people who see the government as the be-all, end-all provider of safety and security uh, will will write pieces like this. And the sad part is that somebody will lead, re, will read this idiot and think that this is somehow... Um, you know, indicative of what's really going on. Now, Dan and I are both owner-operators. I've, I've been one for five years. He's been one for longer than I have. And and I'll tell you, I'm going to be completely transparent, that years ago I was the guy, the ignorant idiot, that would say, oh, you can't make no money as an uh, owner-operator. You know, Swift and Schneider, and they drive the rates down. You can't make any money, and uh, you're better off just to drive for somebody. I said that in my own ignorance because I was ignorant. And I didn't know what I was talking about. I just repeated stuff that other people told me. But all you got to do is look through Facebook and trucker groups, and it's even owner-operators. Oh, I can't make no living. Fuel's too high. Freight's too low. And that's just not true. I mean, I, I, I can go out and, and trip over both of my feet and make double what I did as a company driver. Um, but obviously the biggest thing that needs to be hit here, and this is what I want Dane and I to talk about, is the safety aspect of this. Okay, let's start with Walmart. Okay, Kevin Roper, let's say for uh, the sake of argument that he's completely guilty, that he's driving up the New Jersey Turnpike with his head up his rear end, not paying attention, and he runs over that limousine. It's completely 100% his fault. That truck had a speed limiter. That truck had forward-facing radar. That truck had the smart cruise. That truck had every possible safety device electronic logs it was all there and still yet that truck ran over the back of that limousine now i have a friend of mine that's convinced the limousine cut him off and the limousine guy's at fault and it's not the drive whatever if kevin rofer is innocent it will eventually be proven but as for now he is the accused but walmart i mean they are they're the walking dog they they are they are it when it comes to providing the best trucks and really the best trucking job, if you if you just want to have a job, there's no better place to be than at Walmart. If you want to be an employee driver and make the best money with the best benefits, go work for Walmart. They've got it all. Um, so we've got to get away from this idea, well, technology is just going to make everything safe. No, it's not. Because you still have human beings. And even autonomous trucks are going to mess up if we go down that road. You know, autonomous trucks are going to malfunction. When you have this much mass moving, uh, then the laws of physics come into play and bad things can and will happen. The reading between the lines of this article also says that, well, drivers, independent contractors, owner-operators don't make enough money, and so that's why our trucks aren't up to snuff, which is crap, because I've said on this very show, the number one thing that motivates me to keep a safe and operating truck is my profit motive because if the trucks break down because I didn't maintain it, I lose money. Dan and I are both leased to a carrier that requires our annual inspection to be done every 120 days. You will find that Dan and I are among the group of the safest drivers on the highway. And it is our profit motive like Dan, like he was talking about in the introduction. You know, he doesn't want to come out here and run 130,000 miles a year at 100 mile an hour with his hair on fire 
he wants to run half of that mileage in the right lane on 55 to save fuel mileage. And he wants to make high rates and low expenses. So he's not the guy that you see that blows your doors off driving like an idiot. That's not him and that's not me. So Dan, what can you know, let's I'd like for you to add along the lines of profitability for owner operators and the motivation for safety. You you pretty much said it before and I know you've uh, you said it in some of your previous podcasts. Your motivation for safety is your record, it's your profitability as a business. You know, if you have an accident, it costs you a lot of money. So you you've said it all before. Um, I I agree with uh, I agree with you pretty much 100 percent on on all those issues, um, all those topics. So I don't know what I can add to that. <laughs> Nothing. I just think it's you know I've gone to this before. It's the ignorance, the the economic illiteracy and ignorance in this business um, is 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 terrible. And even among our fellow owner operators, the people that have no clue what their cost of operation is. None whatsoever. You know, you look at them and say, "Hey, well, hey, man, what's your uh, what's your cost of operation?" They look at you like you got three heads. You know, I I don't know. You know, I just I just know uh, what I do know is I need to make five dollars a mile. If I make five dollars a mile, everything's okay. Uh, which is going to lead into our next subject. Dan brought this to me. Now I'll go ahead and throw the disclaimer out there. We both work for Landstar. Uh, we both enjoy working for Landstar. But something happened last week. That is a, a good example, and this is not against Landstar. Um, it, it's just about, uh, sadly, it's about drivers that don't really understand their cost. And uh, so I'm going to give this to Dan. Now, I've got the text message up in front of me if you want me to uh, read through it or, or if you if you got everything down you just want to take off. Uh, I think I pretty much got it all in memory. Um, okay, go ahead. Well, Land. Landstar needed 40 empty trailers moved from Salt Lake City to Denver, and they sort of put out an APB. They called lots of the uh, owner-operators. I think they started with the ones that they knew were sitting in Denver, maybe looking for a load. And they said, hey, if you bobtail up to Salt Lake City, we will pay you $1,072.00 to the truck, no no percentage taken out of that. So one thousand seventy two dollars to the truck, you know, to the to the to the owner operator to uh, haul these empty trailers back from Salt Lake City. So you bobtail from Denver to Salt Lake City, you haul the empty trailer back from Salt Lake City to Denver. Round trip one thousand seventy two miles, and again they're paying one thousand seventy two dollars. So it's a dollar per mile round trip. They went on to tell the drivers how much uh, of a good thing it would be because they would get such great fuel mileage bobtailing uh, across the Rockies over to Salt Lake City and then great fuel mileage hauling an empty trailer back, which sounds good, um, but if you do the math, which I did, uh, you know that at best it's between a 5 and 6% or a 5, five and 6 cent per mile savings on fuel. Uh, and I calculated that on, uh, I believe it was nine and a half miles per gallon round trip, which I think is very, very realistic for many, many trucks on the road. Um, well, my cost of operation uh, for the last quarter has been right at 80 cents, so 
if I factor in that, let's say, six cents uh, savings in fuel, I would have been making 26 cents profit per mile on that 1,072 miles. Well, I think Swift Pay is better than that. I'm, I'm yeah. not sure. I think they're they're starting around uh, maybe 28, 29 cents. Um, so I did a little more math. If you uh, basically, it's it's a two day trip or maybe a little more than a day and a half trip um, to to run those miles, pick up the trailer. It's not 24 hour pickup. It's like seven seven a.m. to seven p.m. Monday through Friday. So. That would make it pretty hard if, say, you wanted to run, uh, you know, four of those those trailer moves back to back and and just, you know, bang them bang them out, you know, and and not really stop even to catch your breath. Well, eventually you'd get caught where you're you're getting there in the middle of the night and you got to wait till 7 a.m. to uh, you know to to hook one of those trailers. So. Basically, in reality, it's about a two-day trip, round trip. Um, so if you take that that revenue and divide it by the two days, you're looking at somewhere around $139 net profit per day. Um, I won't even turn my crank my truck up for for that kind of money. No. Um, unless it gets me to you know a a load that's paying you know $10 a mile five dollars a mile something like that where yeah. the where the profit's just going to be uh crazy well regardless of all this um they had owner operators tripping over themselves to go haul these trailers which just tells me that these guys don't know their operating expense they they bought the the uh the the, the spiel hook line and sinker oh you're going to make a lot of quick, easy money hauling these light, empty trailers and bobtailing, you're going to get awesome fuel mileage and you're just going to make money, 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 and you can you can run four of these in a week, which maybe you can run four in seven days if everything goes right, but you're still, okay, so you're making $150 a day for, uh, an, it's about a nine-hour drive, you know, with uh, the mountains and everything else. Um, so, again, they had owner-operators just, you know, tripping over themselves to, to go move these trailers, um, and it, it just blows my mind that uh, in this day and age, we have so many tools to do our bookkeeping, do our accounting, and, and learn our operating costs, but it just seems like nobody does it, and I, I really don't blame Landstar for doing this. Um, Chris, you brought up earlier that if they need 40 trailers moved and they're paying uh, $1,072, that's well over $40,000. That's that's a pretty big uh, chunk yeah, that, of change that's there. That's a so. significant investment, you know, I guess, which I'm assuming it's to, for, for a customer, you know, to make a customer happy. So they're spending forty grand to move trailers down there. That's the only reason I can, yeah. I can imagine that they're, they're going to do it. Now, I'll be honest, when you first sent the text... And, and I went, oh, hey, that's awesome. You know, and, of course, then you explained it, and I went, well, hey, man, that's not awesome. Now, I could see, let's say I'm sitting in Denver. I've got my own trailer, and nothing's happening. You know, the freight, which we know freight volume's low. I've got my own trailer, 
and I drop it in Denver and I bobtail up to Salt Lake and I bring this trailer back and I make a thousand dollars and then I hook back up to my trailer and take off I can swallow that easier you know but the idea and, and what I'm what I'm kind of uh, I'm, I'm kind of assuming here I think a lot of guys jumped on this and I think about halfway back from Salt Lake City I think there were a bunch of realizations that wait a minute I'm getting hosed you know and, and I think there's a probably pretty good possibility that maybe they did one and you know they were one and done um, and, and didn't do any more of them uh, but maybe they did you know now I'm sorry if you do five of these in a row you're a fool um, and and you're right. It's it's not Landstar's fault. Now, I mean, I'm looking at this. They could have paid a dollar twenty five, and then I could have made you know fifty one cents for really not doing much of anything and just driving. You know, I I don't have to load and unload, and I'll have to look for loads. And so let's say that the uh, the investment of time of looking for loads and shippers and receivers is worth five or ten cents, you know, for a week. If it was paying a dollar twenty-five, then I might be able to say, okay, for a week I can make fifty-one cents with very, very, very low aggravation. Then maybe I could say that. But you know, but back to the bottom line, the reason that we're bringing this up and using this example is not because. Uh, people who have jobs to do and have freight to move are paying too little it's that we're working for too little and in many cases the reason we're working for too little is because we don't understand our profits you know and uh, you know it doesn't it you know uh, it doesn't it's not what you make per mile it's what you make per week you know and and this is probably one area in, in our many conversations that Dan and I have butted heads a little bit because I'm a revenue stacker I look at the cents per mile and all that stuff after the smoke clears, but I'm more, uh, when I'm out running the board, I'm just about stacking up as much revenue as I can stack up. Once the smoke clears, I'll look at my revenue rate per mile. Dan's a lot more cerebral about it. You know, he will, before he even books a load, he will, he'll, he'll wear it out and think about it and study it and, you know, what's this going to cost me per mile? What am I going to make per mile? And that's fine. That That's you know, he's obviously making a great living doing what he's doing. I think it probably just comes down to personality. I'm the most impatient person on the planet. I don't have time for that stuff. You know, I'm just going, okay, is there enough revenue? Good, let's go. And I grab it and take off. So, you know, really in our methodology, neither one of us is wrong. We just look at things in a little bit different prism. The bottom line, though, is we both know what it costs to run our trucks. You know, mine's about 10, 10 cents more a mile than his is, but I've got a truck payment. So... Um, this is this is something that uh, I know he's passionate about and I'm passionate about and and that is educating other people in this business to to look at things in a different prism and understand your cost of operation better okay we're back up now had a little technical difficulty there thing just quit so uh, you got anything more you want to add on that? Well, um, you pretty 
much hit the nail on the head. Uh, you know, we have a little bit different style of managing our, our, our revenue and our expenses, but the important thing is that we are managing it and we know our numbers. We know what it costs to run these trucks down the road and we know uh, what our profit is. And that is the most important thing and that's what we are lacking so terribly in this industry. And I, I'll say this again with, with the trailer example, Landstar needing the 40 trailers moved. I don't fault Landstar. That's business for them to get those trailers moved as inexpensively as possible. Um, I do fault all of the owner-operators who go do that for really, um, you know, too, too cheap. Um, like uh, I let said, me, let me ask this real, Let me ask this real quick. Now, I've only dealt with trailer utilization a couple of times. I've moved some trailers around from my customer because we have some of those that have the 488-inch uh, logistics tracks that my customer can't use. So we've, I've, you know, they've paid me a little bit here and there to move some trailers around. But what do you think the odds are that a driver called them up and said, look, hey, I'd love to help you out, but you're not paying enough? Um, because that's the part we don't know. Do, do you think, do you think there was some of that happening? Them saying, "Well, look, I, I'll do it for thirteen hundred, or I'll do it for fourteen hundred." That's exactly what I did. Um, he called me, okay. and I said, uh, "You know, at, at first it it almost sounds like a good deal, but then I always think to myself, you know, there's uh, a lot of a lot of times something sounds good on the front side, but you've got to do that math." So. I did, you know, I said, hey, I'll call you back in five minutes, and I uh, calculated the mileage real quick, because I didn't know if he was going off of real miles or, you know, the, the uh, household good miles, and I never ask them, because half the time, you know, the agents don't even know what system their, their miles, uh, their database, uh, mileage database is, so I just go calculate the you know, Salt Lake City to Denver on MapQuest, and that's really, really close um, across the board to getting you uh, on, you know, accurate mileage. Yeah. So I did that math real quick, and I, you know, figured out, okay, it's it's pretty, pretty true, uh, pretty close to a true dollar per mile, you know, round trip, and uh, I came up with the same number, 1300 I called him back and said, hey, uh, I can't do it at your rate, but I, I would love to do it at uh, 1300 And he said, well, I appreciate the offer, but unfortunately we're locked into that rate. The, the uh, customer doesn't want to pay anymore. And I said, well, okay, I understand that. And again, that is just business. I do not fault Landstar at all. Um, that's business. Uh, going back to um, the kind of the people I do uh, point the blame at is the owner operators who will go run the you know the cheap freight or in this case the these trailers um, because they don't know their operating expenses and they just think oh this is going to be easy quick money you know and like you said maybe um, they'll get one trip and then they'll they'll go. Um, that wasn't such a good deal. I don't think I'm going to do it anymore. Um, right. This is going to sound harsh, but I hope that does happen. I hope they do say that. And then maybe the next sentence will be, maybe I should have done some math, and maybe I'll do some math on my next load, you know. 
I mean, we um, all, we also, in fairness, we also don't know. I mean, that guy turned you down. You know, but if he talks to 20 or 30 guys and none of them, you know, are like, look, I, you know, I can't do it for that, then eventually the customer's going to have to come up. We have seen that just in, you know, in regular freight where you go to the customer or you go to the agent and the agent has to go to the customer and say, look, you want it moved, I'll move it, but it's going to be for X. And then they come back and say, okay, they'll do it for that. So it, it's possible but that by the time the 40th trailer moved, the rate came up. God, I hope so. I hope there's, which out of 9,000 drivers, there's probably 40 idiots that probably took it with a smile. So, you know, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be optimistic, but, you know, uh, you know, I mean, my, 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 I have a 10% rule. There's 10% of every group, socioeconomic, ethnic, racial, uh, religious, every, 10% of every group should be locked up in a rubber room. But that's most of the ones that get on television. So, you know, at 9,000 drivers, we got 900 that are probably brain dead and clueless. And they were, you know, lined up around the block to move these 40 trailers for a dollar amount. So, but I'll, I'll, you know, I'll try to stay positive. Well, uh, so we've been at this 45 minutes now. I think we did pretty good. I'm digging it. So I'll go ahead and start to wind this down. We'll, uh, as we go along, we'll, we'll use Zeke and, and Dan uh, both to uh, help me out because I, I enjoy this, this part of, of having a conversational show instead of just uh, one guy and one voice. So uh, that'll do it for Episode 9 of the American Truck Driver Podcast. You got any parting things you want to leave with, Dan? Well, I'd just like to say thanks, Chris, for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I just love talking about this stuff and uh, look forward to doing it again. All right, sounds good. Uh, hit me up an email, uh, driver at gmail.com. You can find me on social media, facebook.com slash driver, and you can find me on the Twitter at Truckin' Czar. Uh, That's it for now. We'll talk to you next time.